This week on Erotic Awakening, a special edition, Madame Posh talks about people of color in the kink community. Don, have you ever heard that the old saying that 80% of the people that come to your local BDSM play party are just there to have fun and to get their spanking on, and the other 20% of the people there think of it more as a community and more of a, a, a lifestyle sort of thing? I have heard that, and, and we've kind of experienced that with our time directing the Columbus space. Absolutely, right? You, you see there's a small portion of people that show up early, help get things mm-hmm. set up. There's a Stay late, put the chairs away, yep. and all that. Yep, but yep. most people just want to plunk down their 20 bucks, play, Have no worries, play. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of those, for that 80% crowd, they are often curious why we bother to take a stance about issues like diversity and inclusion inside of our kink spaces. And I have a hard time explaining why I think it's important, but who cares what I think? <laughs> Fortunately, tonight on the podcast, we have an expert and somebody who can help us to understand. Madam Posh, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. That was a great intro. I'm not sure if I'm an expert, but I will, I will give what knowledge I have. I have listened to your, uh, I've watched your YouTube channel. I would say that whether you consider yourself an expert or not, would you agree that you are passionate about this topic? Oh, I, I will. I will absolutely agree with that. Yes. So why are you passionate about this topic? Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm passionate about this topic, um, for, you know, a couple different reasons. I think people, uh, a lot of people kind of took notice of my social media last year because I did, um, you know, call out, a, an, a local organization that was being racist, um, and sexist and some other ist and isms. Um, and I, I think with, uh, everything that, was happening in in the U.S. last uh, last year with um, the protest and George Floyd, um, and then looking back at, back at my own kink experience, I had been in the community, my local community, for a couple of years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just very white, um, and I it, I was able to realize that I am someone who was raised in north of Seattle in Washington State. Um, by two white people. I was adopted. Um, and so as much as a dark-skinned Black woman could live in uh, privilege, um, I, ha- I had. Uh, I'm very, I'm very uh, comfortable in predominantly white spaces. I've worked in predominantly white spaces. That's, you know, I grew up in a house that was predominantly a white space. Um, and so um, th- I, realizing uh, realizing that personally, that that has been like that privilege of being raised in that space allowed me the privilege of feeling comfortable in a lot of these spaces and getting access to rope knowledge um, that um, um, that a lot of people in our community um, in, in um, you know, a lot of black people. I've heard this from so many, um, to be honest, I've done a lot of coaching sessions uh, with people across the country. And one of the things they say all the time is that you know, because of the history within the U.S. and uh, specifically the history with rope and trees and suspension, mm-hmm. um, they don't feel comfortable or 100% safe sometimes playing in those vulnerable spaces and predominantly white spaces. Um, and that resonated with me because I I didn't really under- understand how that felt 
um, until I had opportunities to do rope in predominantly black spaces. Mm. And then I was like, oh, okay, okay. I get, I see the differences and I see, I, I can, even though I didn't have, that's not my life experience, um, I can empathize. And then also just understanding the privilege of the access to knowledge I had within rope and that, you know, it's my, you know, kind of social community responsibility to uh, pass that privilege mm -hmm. on to open access to people, of, more people of color. Um, and I don't think that it's really, you know, a point to argue uh, if you would look at, you know, most spaces that rope was happening at a high level. Uh, it wasn't highly populated with a lot of people of color um, on the tops or the bottoms. So um, I think that one of the one of the I think it's a really uh, valid point people bringing up that like, oh, why does like I just want to go to the dungeon and play. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people uh, I also think that that's a very privileged point of view to have. Right. Because uh, you don't have to think, am I safe here? Am I going to get called the N word? Is there going to be a Confederate flag decorating the wall, which is something that multiple dungeons in the South had that I've um, heard stories from, from uh, black educators where like, they're like, I can't bring my audience of people to this dungeon with this decor. <laughs> like, you know, like it's like, um, and to be honest, the people who owned the place just didn't it like it wasn't done out of malice it was in like the deep south somewhere and like they just they it just hadn't occurred to them like they were like oh that's a good point right and so for the event i believe they took it down and i believe they continued to take it down um but i think that that yeah um that there is a privilege of being able to go into spaces and not be worried about that that part of your safety um you know whether it's physical or mental or emotional um, and then within rope two, um, I, I definitely noticed that the rope bottoms that get highlighted are not people of color. Oftentimes, um, I had many heartbreaking stories of people reaching out to me saying that riggers had straight out told them, like, I don't tie people of color, or I don't know, I don't photograph people with dark skin. Um, and those that, that hurt my, hurt my heart to hear people say that. Cause I oh, think yeah. that. Rope is such an amazing um, art that has so many, can bring so many um, valuable aspects to people's lives. It can be healing, it can be therapeutic, and it can just be fun, dirty, sexy stuff, right? Um, and why shouldn't everyone get to uh, get, uh, be able to explore that and have, um, you know, equal opportunities to have access? Absolutely. Now, Go ahead, Don. Oh, no. Well, um, the first thing that I wanted to mention, I'm, I'm going to have questions later, too. Yes. But the first thing that I wanted to mention, when you started talking about being in rope space and being a person of color and, you know, how that was an issue, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I clicked it together, and I'm like, you know, as a white person, I don't think of that. It took you getting a little deeper into the description yeah. before I was like, oh, trees. Oh, hell, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. I can see where that would be a problem. So, mm -hmm. and the Confederate flag, absolutely. But, um, huh, something that I I wouldn't have thought of personally. And oh, odd, yeah. I think it's great that, you know, there's, to me at least, and again, you're right, I, I get it. Everybody's got their own perception, their own view of the world, right? Mm -hmm. I can certainly see bringing to someone's attention say, hey, I noticed in your dungeon you have a Confederate flag. Here's what that means to me. Here's, that what, here's what that means to people of color. 
as something that, oh, geez, that's pretty damned obvious that we should be doing. Um, but when it comes to the number of people of color in rope spaces, is it disproportionate to the population of the number of colored people in the U.S. in general? Or in uh, no. spaces? Because <laughs> because I've been to plenty of rope spaces where I'm the only okay. person of color there okay. um, or, or black person there. Um, or if I'm not the only, I know the two others. Um, and I'm talking like huge conventions with hundreds mm-hmm. of people. Um, so I don't know. I don't think it's accurately represented. Um, you know, I was even fell under the misconception uh, that was told to me that like black people didn't do kinky things when when I, when I would ask these questions in spaces of like, why is there not more of us? Um, and no offense, I don't count because I already feel comfortable. I can I can navigate these spaces. I have enough agency um, to to be able to be like, you know, fuck the fuck off, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Hopefully, I can swear on this. Yo, absolutely. Um, <laughs> fuck that. I mean, fuck that. <laughs> But not everybody does. Um, And, you know, I've heard many things. Oh, you know, uh, well, black people just aren't as into it, Um, you know, and then on in the black communities, there's also things like, oh, that's a white people thing, um, which is a a, a complete other misconception. But as I was able to find more of the community uh, and see the stuff that a lot of the uh, people of color are actually out here doing, what I found was, nah, y'all just don't book them. Okay. Y'all just don't book them because they are out here doing stuff. There are people out here doing amazing work that uh, that I didn't know existed until I went and looked for them when you told me they didn't exist, as well as the fact that I have firsthand experience with white uh, rope convention organizers saying black people don't sell tickets. Ooh. So um, and I know I'm not ignorant of of the world in general. I mean, that's a concept that is in many aspects of our world. That is a misconception that like, you know, black people can't sell products or whatever because that's not attractive or whatever. But I I mean, I've this is like straight out of the person's mouth (laughs) that she said that like, yeah, they just they don't sell tickets. Um, So I I, I'm uh, I'm not speaking from a place of like, oh, I um, you know, this is what I think is going on because of what's going on in vanilla world. No, this is coming from firsthand experience of of doing of wanting to be well, you know, being an event producer with this in this community and networking in that way and being in those spaces. Um, You know, I know these things have been said and have been talked about. Um, I my friend. The reason why I'm friends actually with Miss Rima, who is a an amazing uh, dark skinned black uh, rigger out of Austin, is because she saw my post kind of outing this group and she reached out to me to tell me her heartbreaking story about how they told her that her, you know, she didn't have enough skill, she hadn't been doing it long enough um, to uh, get booked at this convention. And then uh, they booked like three other white people who had been tying less amount of time than she had mm-hmm. um, for that same event. So, it's not like I, I I just want to preference that this isn't just like, oh, she's just mad about everything else going. No, no, no. This is like I've got firsthand stories and experience that I know this shit is going on in our community. So I know it's something that needs to be addressed. So, so no, go, go ahead. ahead. Me? OK, so um, I, I'm not sure how to ask the questions because I know in our community here in Columbus, we have because Dan and I were directors of the space for a while. And I would ask my black friend, Mocha, (laughs) I'm like, Mocha, where's all the people? And she's one of the ones that would say, you know, black people do this at home 
they don't do it in, pu- in public. And I'm like, well, then how can we get them to the events? I can't reach them. I, I don't know how to reach them. And that's always been an issue, trying to get people to the space. Right. Yeah, I think, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm curious here to your response. Oh, well, I, I mean, I think there's multiple things going on there. If you have, um, you know, you have a longstanding space and community that hasn't had a lot of representation, um, you know, this, and this is not from my own experience. This is from other people uh, that I've learned from and have told me their experience mm-hmm. um, that, you know, if they walk into a space and there's not another black person there <laughs> that feels comfortable, mm-hmm. um, that's a, that's like a, a, that's a sign, right? If there's not someone on the management team or someone in leadership, right? Like if you are a person of color and you go into a predominantly white space, right? And you have a consent violation, then you now need to go tell the, you know, white leadership and then also expect to be believed. And as someone who has had this exact issue and still to this day is not being believed um, and those leaders are still leaders, um, that, that's what we're, those are kind of the safety issues that I think that people, um, you know, people, uh, white people sometimes, that, that's the privilege we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, of okay. like, sometimes you don't realize that like you can go into those space, play and know if there's a consent violation, you can out it and people are probably going to publicly back you um, and support you. Uh, a lot of people of color don't have that. And then you have, um, you know, the what a lot of people don't like to talk about, but is the hierarchy of race and, you know, dark skinned black women are at the bottom of it. So if we are in a space thriving, feeling comfortable and safe, uh, guess what? That communicates to not only other black people, but other people of color, indigenous people, that Mm -hmm. communicates to everyone. Oh, this is a place where I can be safe, where there might be another voice for me to speak up for me. So I think part of like, yes, a lot of black people kink at home, but that doesn't necessarily mean they want to. Uh, like they probably mm-hmm. do want to have community. That is the thing that keeps me like, yeah, I'd always do kinky things, but a big part of kink is the community. It's mm-hmm. like church, right? Like we may hate, like I don't agree with most religion, um, but I do understand that humans need community and connection outside of work or their family. And that is what a lot of the community provides. I mean, almost all of my close friends in my life that I, associate with every day are kinky or in the community. I met them in the community. Um, so <clears throat> I think, um, you know, you kind of have a problem that's probably been compounding on itself. Whereas if you don't have this representation there, when new people of color may be stopping by, they're just never going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just like, oh, that's not the space for me. And there's a lot of things that communicate this isn't a space for me that doesn't have to be a Confederate flag or someone saying the N word. Uh, and the number one I mentioned, I, number one thing I mentioned all the time is the playlist. The playlist <laughs> communicates whether this is a space for us. If it's nothing but, um, you know, 80s rocker music, no offense. For me personally, that just triggers <laughs> me back to the strip club because that's like every song that they play from that. I'm like, oh, this is who used to dance to that. Um, but like that communicates that this is the audience that we want in this space. Um, In my local dungeon, I remember getting a lot of pushback when I was gonna create a playlist for my group that met there. And then got the dungeon owner coming back to me afterward, just shocked. I was so surprised at the diverse group, like music on your Mm. playlist. (laughs) And I'm like, well, were you just expecting like ratchet hip hop? Because like, what were you expecting? Um, I'm 
providing a playlist for an audience of a diverse group of people. So I'm going to put a diverse, diverse groups of music from decades, like of every decade, you know? Um, and so I think that's one that's like, to me, it's like one simple one that I think always comes up, but it also helps communicate that it's not just things that are overtly racist that clearly communicate to people of color that this is maybe not the safest space for us. It is, you know, who is on that consent team? Who is on that leadership team? If they feel like something um, in your space is off, do they feel like they have someone who has enough power to do something, right? Isn't the front door person is actually like on a power, like actually has a decision-making position that they feel safe going to because, this isn't, um, although we are a social club kind of in the sense, right? It is different than going golfing because we're dealing with intimate, um, vulnerable, emotional, triggering spaces. Um, so I think that that is, um, I, I, I under, and I understand, again, if you don't have, that's why I try to, again, use my um, my life experience of, of being intimately involved in both both sides of these communities, having these conversations, having similar opinions that, um, you know, that I'm arguing against now when I was younger and didn't know as much and didn't have like, um, I think there's this misconception that it's just white people that need to work on racism. And I'm like, nah, white, white supremacy run deep. <laughs> and I had some of those biases as well. I have some that I still have to work on. That is part of, uh, that's part of the thing. So um, I like being able to be a safe space for, white people to come and ask questions without being attacked. That might not be, um, you know, might not, you might not be able to word it in the most proper way, but like you need to, you also need to have a safe space to learn, right. And not be, um, not be attacked. Right. And, and feel like you can ask questions and know that you can get genuine answers um, because that's the only way we're going to like heal and move forward. Um, yeah, I maybe got off on a little tangent there, but I think you had another question. Yeah, we like I, tangents. Yes, and I, <laughs> I actually wanted to thank you. I, I appreciate that um, stance of wanting to be a safe place where people can ask questions too. Because I know sometimes as, as, as directors or even as event producers, we've wanted to ask the questions and haven't known where to go or yeah. have asked the wrong people or the people, mm, not the right words. You, you, yeah, no, I, you, I, and I understand what you're saying because at the same time, I'm also a big advocate for people, for people of color out here. Like I am about to work for free. You know what I'm saying? Like, look, I work for free long enough. Like you need to, and I understand that. And I also understand people like being like, look, uh, like, you know, um, you know, lots of black people have gotten lots of DMs uh, in the last year from people that maybe are coming from a good place, but like you maybe just caught us in a vulnerable time where like, you know, we just watched someone get murdered on TV or something. And so our response is not going to be as good. But I think at the same time, we do also have to have people that you can come and talk to and be like, yeah, but what is okay? Because how else are you going to know? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, so at the same time, I respect that and I respect those, those opinions and I support that, but I think everybody has a different role in this, you know, in the movement and the fact that again, my, how I was raised and, and my life experiences kind of allows me to be able to see both, both sides and be able to understand where you're coming from and, um, and, and not, and try to give you an honest answer back in, in a safe space, because I'm, I am not, a a, a you know, an activist or someone, a black person that is for revenge. 
or I'm not a black supremacist. I'm, um, you know, I, not by the direct definition of the worst, but I'm just kind of a humanist. Like I just, I want everyone to be viewed as a human and then like, we'll get to your identifiers later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, a big part of this movement uh, that a lot of the main work we'll have to do uh, once we even get farther is just healing. It's just, there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. Like I can sympathize as a white person you know, living your life until you're 30 and then having what's going on in the last year and a half where like, maybe you just learned about a butt because I've learned a bunch of history, but a bunch of shit you didn't fucking know. Like, yeah. you know, like the Tulsa massacre, like, and if that is, you know, traumatizing or or affecting me and like learning about like what I didn't know, I can only imagine how that affect, it's going to affect everyone and it's going to affect you differently knowing that this is a race thing and you're white, like that and that there needs to be, space and empathy and healing in that because that doesn't inherently like again i i i understand that people didn't necessarily do some of these more violent things um but and then there's but there's also like but unfortunately you have benefited from it over the decade so we do have to discuss that but i can also understand why that can be troubling to like process um you know like that um I've been, I, you know, I've had the best, the best way I can describe where I've kind of felt similar is, um, to be honest, when I'm in predominantly like trans spaces or when I've, um, you know, spoken about trans rights and, um, advocated for that. Um, I know, you know, growing up, even before I was in the King community, like early twenties of a decade ago, um, you know, I've always been an advocate for trans people and, um, I've been in spaces before where I'm like, how do I let you know that I'm here to, that I'm on your team, but I'm also not trying to point you out as being this unique person that needs to be pointed out. But I also want you to know you're safe in my, and I had some moments like that in the last year where I then went, Oh shit. Uh, someone is accusing me of being like transphobic or something. And I just went, Oh my God, some of my best friends are trans. (laughs) And then I, and I was like, shit, Oh, this, Oh, this is this is it. This is what they're. This is what we're telling white people when they. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. I so, understand what that feels like a little bit. <laughs> um, a little bit. Let, uh, let I'm not going to take it to the same same thing. So yeah, I, I have uh, empathy there. Let, let me ask you this question. I'm going to change tracks on you a little bit. Yeah. Um, this is just a, a little a scenario. I just want your input. I am. Input. Let's say I'm an I'm an event producer, and I got an event of. 300 people, and I think, okay, I need about 10 producer, 10 presenters, right? Should I set aside some of those spots specifically for color of people? Color it, of people? People of color. People of color. It's been a long time. Color of people. I got, that, that actually doesn't sound bad, color yeah, of that's, people. That's not bad either. Because on one hand, Right. I don't want to be signal virtuing. I don't want yes. to be. What's that? Uh, good gosh. I can't remember the. No, virtual signaling. You're good. You're yeah. Just, and then there's the other one. Um, token. Right? I don't want to pro- I don't want to be practicing tokenism. Yeah. Tokenism. Yes. Right. But the flip side is, I don't know. What is the what is the what is your think thinking about that? I mean. So, um, no, I think that's a really, really great question, because I do. Um, I know one of the. Um, uh, a, one of the um, rope 
event organizations put a statement out last year that um, mentioned that they were going to make that make sure that like 33.3% of their educators were BIPOC or, or people of color, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure when they wrote it from a business standpoint, that sounded great, right? Like we're going to give this part of this space to this. But when we read it as humans, um, it sounded like, oh, so we're also just another statistic. Like where are you going to get 33.3% people? Like we're going to cut someone out. Like that's that's kind of how it was like uh, portrayed, pro- okay. like how it was perceived, right? So I do think there's this, you know, kind of, murky area of like, how do I do that? Right. Um, and I think what it goes down to is the root of the problem, which is, do you even know enough black educators to even have your percentage in your head, um, that you'd like to have? And you can also have those percentages in your head. You don't have to communicate them to anybody. (laughs) Like that, like, that's the other thing too. Like sometimes you can just have that in your head and not have to say that in a statement and that'd be fine. Right. Um, (coughs) to me, I think I think we, we have um, reached the goal in this topic or with this issue when people of color can look at the lineup and we're not, the lineup just looks, we're, we're not going, why is there not more people of color? Right. Right. Um, and um, so what that, to me, again, I think the root of the problem is, do you know enough educators to even have the minimum that you'd like to have? And then when you are looking for educators, what are your qualifications, right? If you're, you know, I know a lot of um, event producers are qualifications, whether we want to admit it or not, pretty high on there is how many Instagram followers do you have? Like that's mm-hmm. a big selling point, right? Okay. And if you're not making considerations for the fact that Instagram's AI is literally programmed to be slightly racist and that we are um, doing adult kink stuff and that people of color get targeted more on their content there, they don't get followed as much. Like if they don't get promoted as much, they don't get shared as much. Um, If you're not taking that into accountability, then how is that going to be um, a, 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 um, oh, I'm going to not think of the word, but like a requirement or, or something you're going to use to choose who's going to educate. Um, so I think, you know, maybe even changing the metrics of what you're using to pick educators. Um, because I, at the end of the day, I don't want you picking educators just because they're people of color. We want the best educators there, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think there are biases. Um, and like, we all know there's, there's a, there's a, a group of names of educators that have a lot of, and for good reason, because they've done good work, but that have a, you know, a lot of weight behind it. Um, and so, you know, I would challenge event producers to have, you know, have one big name and have some space for some other people. Um, look for topics that aren't getting taught about, you know, like Shakti Bliss Bunny has a, a great class called Bhakti Bondage. that is just talking about connection and like floor rope and bring spirituality into your rope. And like, um, she, when she gives her class list, she never gets asked to teach those classes. Mm -hmm. She rarely ever gets asked to teach those classes. Um, so I think that is something that also like, you know, as an event planner from a business standpoint, I think you're going to have to be more creative in how you produce events, um, coming out of COVID because, a lot of events sold, especially within the rope community, because of the educators were there and because that's the only way you had access to them. You had to drive to Florida, pay $300 for a ticket to fire and go to fire if you wanted to see Barkas and Addy perform, you know, mm-hmm. like um, 
And now after the pandemic, that's not really a thing anymore. I can get, I can learn from, uh, from Corita in Germany uh, without leaving my home, right? Without spending, like getting a hotel, having to fly, any of those things. So I think, um, I think that strategically business-wise, event producers are going to have to challenge themselves to create experiences and not just bringing in names that they know are going to sell tickets. Um, because that's not a big of, uh, as big of a motivator anymore because that's expensive. And like, I can book some of those educators directly for less money than it would cost to go to your event and, and, um, and be in a class with 20 other couples. Um, so, and I think one of the things that will help that is to dive in deep to what a lot of these other educators and BIPOC educators are doing. Um, like coach feline does a fitness and kink BDSM class. That's fucking amazing. Like she is going to dom your ass into shape <laughs> and it's hot and she does like ASMR fucking great. Um, Madam Carmen in Houston is like the strap on queen and she's got like the most amazing personality. Uh, same with, um, Miss Rima out of Atlanta. She is her rope. Number one, her rope has just it's been so on point, um, and gotten like the improvement in, in the last year has been incredible. Um, but tech, like technically strong rope, this bitch can teach a box tie class. How many times, how often do you see a person of color teaching a class on box ties if it's not a Japanese person? Mm -hmm. So then who are people of color learning box ties from? No one. So then why are we having so much wrist drop? You know what I'm saying? Like we can connect <laughs> those things. Um, so, but, you know, even as we've made progress, there's, there's a lot of been a lot of progress made in the last year and a half. You know, some of the things I still notice is like, hey, like, OK, so you book us for those for those conventions. But also, what are you having us teach? If you're only booking us for one one classes um, or beginning level classes, that's not really communicating that we have the same level of knowledge to share. Right. So I think that's important, too, of like not just our, who are you booking, but also what are you having them teach? Because um, that also shows how much you value their content. Um, that's one thing I've been working on in the background with my mentor is like getting my box tie um, down really pat and to a point where I can teach it because there's just, in general, there's not a lot of people within the kink community doing classes on, on um, box ties and um, there's not very many people of color. So, you know, I think those are things to really consider as an event producer um, when trying to, you know, create a more exclusive space. Also, where do you market? Mm -hmm. who, who are you marketing to? Like, wh where is that at? Is it like, are you connecting with, um, you know, Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir, who are kind of like the Beyonce and Jay-Z of the Black King community? Do you even know who they are? You know what I'm saying? Like, those are people that are going to help you. They actually have a consulting service. Well, they will come in and give you connections with people of color and do this work for you. They've been doing that for years. Um, and so I think it also has to do with like, how important is it to you? Um, because I, uh, you know, there's going to be some event producers that are like, well, I mean, I could do that extra work, but like, I still can have a successful event by not doing it. So, um, uh, so it also is just like, you know, how socially responsible are you trying to be? And then also you have to prepare for the backlash from that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, do you have people of color on your event production team? Like that, that would be, you know, that would be very helpful. Um, and then also too, at the same time, not thinking any person of color means that you have a diversity expert 
right? Um, because we all have different life experiences. We all have different points of view on Black Lives Matter, on this whole movement. Um, and we all have different education. And we also are all, just like I mentioned, have fallen into white supremacy lies. So there are some of us out here that, um, you know, are still kind of shaded by that. Um, so, you know, I challenge people to not just, you know, scrambleably like, oh, you're a person of color. You should be on the team. Like <laughs> also make sure that like we are qualified for the job. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in the long run, that also doesn't benefit us to put us in positions where we're not going to succeed, which is going to be a representation because unfortunately any sort of position we're in, we're representing the whole community until we deal with some of these problems that in itself can just, you're just delaying another negative result of, of creating a situation where like, well, we brought a black person on the team and they couldn't handle it and da da da. Well, like you brought a college dropout, you know what I'm saying? Or you brought, you know, someone who's like, not like going through a serious breakup in their life. Like, you know, um, so I think it's important to like, not just, not just worry about just diversity, like worry about the quality of the content um, and the quality of the work as well. Uh, we want quality humans in these roles, no matter what color they are. You have been super generous with your time and information with us tonight. How can people find you and find out more about what Madame Posh does? Yeah, you can um, check out my website at BMP Experience. Um, I offer coaching sessions. I offer mentoring sessions. I also offer consulting uh, concessions for um, sessions for event producers, whether it comes to diversity training or just producing stuff. I've been in vid production since I was 19, I'm 35. Um, and I've navigated a lot within this community as well. And I have a decent amount of connections. So um, feel free to reach out to me for that and check out my YouTube channel called the MP Experience and my Instagram at Posh Ropes. Um, that is where, you know, uh, at, at random, I go into live stream uh, rants, we'll call them rants, um, <laughs> educational rants about a lot of these different topics. Um, and just trying to break some of the, the barriers and, um, open up this space to, to more people of color and just point out more of, um, more ways that we can improve. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight. Sit, hang around a little longer uncomfortably while we wrap this thing up. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Take a moment to support the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spitcher, 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 Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you, see if you take Spitcher and Spotify. I I noticed that. Or wherever you listen. (laughs) Or just tell your friends. If you like what we're doing, head over to patreon.com slash erotic awakening and take a look at the options. So, and we will also have information there on our next Let's Chat meeting. Bye, Dan. Bye, Don. Bye, Madam Posh. Bye, Madam Posh.